Hi everyone, and welcome to the DevMar Debugged podcast, where experts from top companies all over the world share their insights on everything developer marketing. Learning isn't linear. I think we can all agree on that. Sometimes a quick ready-made template will do the trick. Other times you'll need something far more comprehensive, like a three-hour course. As a Pro Plus member, you'll gain exclusive access to cutting-edge developer marketing resources from easy-to-implement templates, mentor programs, member events, and exclusively written content. Continuous learning and staying ahead of the developer marketing curve can be hard, but with Pro Plus, it's easy. So today we're joined by Alex Logan, iOS engineer with many impressive credentials, including holding the top trending spot in the UK on the App Store. Uh, so hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so we're talking about a very important topic today, which is, you know, after all the hard work of creating a product, how do you then get developers to use it? Um, which I suppose is a really hard part. But before you we get into it, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm an iOS engineer now, um, but I kind of like stumbled onto being an iOS engineer by accident. Um, can I give you a quick a little mini story that um, my journey to computer science was genuinely an accident. So um, when I was going to university, I wanted to do like business stuff um, before that my A levels, I was doing design. So I kind of been all over the place through different um, paths of education. And when I went down to Cardiff University to look at like business and economics courses, because I presume that's what I was going to do, uh, I literally got on the wrong bus when I was there. So I was supposed <laughs> to go to the business school and I ended up at the computer science school. And I was like, it was a really long journey, like like 30 minutes or whatever. I was like, oh, this is ages. So like, I got there. I was like, well, I may as well stay here now. And I walked in and like, I had like a moment where I was like, oh, this is so cool. There was like old Apple computers all over the place and a course description. Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds so fun. Um, so on the way back, I like panically rewrote my personal statement to be all about computers or whatever. Um, and luckily ended up getting into Newcastle University doing computer science, uh, which was great. Um, but then like when I was there, I almost like, there was a part of time where I was like, did I make a mistake here? Because it was like Java and it was kind of, it was all like text on a screen. It was all like sat in a terminal. I just didn't like get engaged mm. in it. So I started to look at apps and cause I had a MacBook, I was like, I may as well try Apple stuff. I've always been like a bit of an Apple fanboy. So I was like, you know what, let's try Apple. Uh, so I yeah. tried Apple's tutorials for iOS. I still have that app somewhere actually, but I hated it cause it was objective C. So I like abandoned it completely. Mm. Um, and in the same cafe where I was sat doing tutorials and getting like annoyed by objective C, I ended up seeing like a flyer for an event they were doing for like local startups, uh, which is like a super lucky coincidence. Um, and I met a guy who ran a local agency uh, and I jokingly asked him like after this event, like, do you hire freshers? And he said, if they're good enough, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I kind of, like, oh, maybe not yet. Um, so I kind of left things there, but then during my second year, I was like, I'll do an internship. And luckily he was hiring. So I was like, well, I'm clearly going to try and work there. And luckily got in. Um, and then when I was there, I joined as a web dev. So I was doing like PHP, um, like JavaScript and so on, but there was only one iOS dev there. Like they were an app agency. So what ended up happening was I kind of snuck my way in. Like I didn't ask anyone. I just started doing iOS tasks. I was kind of like, well, if I just do them, I'm not going to get told off for doing more work. <laughs> so I kept doing things. Mm. Um, 
I even completely messed up my first push to the app store. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, sure, I can push a new build to the app store and push a build to the app store, which pointed to a development server and no one could sign in. So that was a, an interesting morning. Um, but yeah, I literally accidentally got into computer science and snuck into iOS. And then ever since that's kind of just been what I've done. Uh, I picked up Android just because I was already curious. Like I always have this idea in my head that my, my end game for my career would be like a ahead of mobile kind of what I'm doing now where I need to know about both platforms. So I, I picked up Android, which kind of gave me a really better understanding of the ecosystem. Um, but yeah, it's kind of been how I got here, been iOS since, um, been worked at various companies, um, always on my own apps on the side. Uh, Coffee Book, which was app of the day, Snippet, which is still featured on the macOS app store, I think. Uh, and then of course, I've worked on a bunch of freelance stuff where um, I was very lucky. That's how I got the top trending spot on both stores at once. So designed and, and built an app, which uh, ended up being the top of both, which was fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, now I find myself doing kind of a little bit of everything. Some design, Android, iOS, and then more importantly, uh, developer marketing. Right. Yes. Yeah. So like a lot of things, a very interesting journey and kind of a, a go-getter attitude as well. Just trying new things and doing it even without being told. Yeah. And uh, so are you working on anything in specific at the moment that you'd like to share? Yeah, so uh, something pretty cool is um, we kind of recently decided to, we launched a new feature called Flows. So these are a feature where you can kind of do, at the moment, uh, well, prior to Flows, our content was very much kind of you present a screen remotely and you can like have like multiple screens in a carousel or something. Um, but we wanted to kind of go a bit further. So we built a feature where you can add logic to things. So you can say, okay, if they press this button, go to this screen. If they press this button, go to another. So like full native flows, but like via our web editor, which is a really cool feature. Um, and we needed to kind of show off like what you could do with that. So the best example we could think of is onboarding. Um, you know, onboarding is something where you're constantly messing with it. Like as soon as you ship an app and you're doing onboarding, you'll be looking at your funnel, you'll be doing all sorts. Um, and having to change that all the time via the app stores when you've got like maybe a two day turnaround could be a bit of a pain, especially if you need to move really quickly. So we were like, okay, we'll, we'll use our feature to show this off. Um, and we kind of, we did two big things. So first up, we made like a whole new flow to get into our site. So previously things were very, um, kind of handholdy. So you ask us, Hey, I want access and we walk you through it and we set you up and then you kind of get on your way with our docs and so on. Um, now we made it so that you can just sign up yourself online and you get a tutorial and you even get like pre-made screens. So the onboarding stuff we built, you can just have, so you can just click one button and you get it. You can scan a QR code and view it on your phone, which is really cool. Um, and we also made all those screens in Figma. So, uh, we were top trending on, uh, Figma for a while, which is great. Um, all full of like the designs we had. So we've done like six different onboarding templates. Um, all of which we think are pretty nice to look at. Um, and today, actually, we've just put live, we've open sourced the code for some of them. So the parts you can't do in Unflow, we built for people anyway, and we push those out there. Um, so yeah, flows and and a relative like onboarding and so on are, are our main focus. Um, and a lot, a lot of focus right now on kind of bringing more people to the product. We think we have like loads of features, especially flows, and we, we sort of want to bring more people into it. Yeah, well, so you're working on quite a lot of things and congrats on your recent, um, what what you've done today. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and that, amazing. 
kind of brings me to um, the topic of today. Uh, as you're saying, you know, kind of wanted to get more eyes on the on the product and all that. So, as a developer who markets your own products, you probably face your own share of obstacles. And um, so, to kind of prepare yourself for that marketing stage, is there anything you do during development stage that can kind of help you prepare for you know later? Yeah. So I think one of the big things to think of is like all the way throughout development. Uh, kind of keep in your head that someone else is going to be using this. So, um, you know, that kind of means the code should be like pretty self-documented, like there should be comments and so on. I know it's really easy to say just over oh, code should be self-documented, but it should be like, it should make sense to people. If someone else picks this up, they should understand it. Um, you need to think about like flexibility as well. So think about like, if I, as a developer was integrating my product, what would I be looking for? Um, and you kind of have to constantly reflect on that. So every single thing you build, you have to keep thinking, okay, what's this like as a consumer? Um, this feature might be really cool and do all this magic stuff, but that might not be nice for a developer to actually use. So you got to think about that. Um, and then of course, everything you do, you need like your documentation site to be up to scratch. Um, something we focus on a lot, um, a couple of months back is we completely redid our documentation site to focus on, you know, instead of explaining each individual part of the code like one by one we were like we should explain how to use it so like when you're coming to us you want to use us for a certain reason so that might be like push notifications so when a developer is adding push they don't come to our doc site and start searching around for like the exact classes or whatever they're coming to see like a guide on how to set up notifications so we kind of switch our approach to building things making sure they're documented well but then adding these guides on the website um, which has been quite good to, to do, um, certainly a bit different. Like I, I personally enjoy writing a lot. Um, but we also added video guides too. Um, we've had four or five of those now, which I think are quite useful for people to kind of see, um, both sides of things. So, uh, something I have to consider is that you're not just, you're marketing to developers, but like at the same time, you need to make sure that product people understand what's going on as well. Um, because it's not just devs that are going to be pushing your SDKs and tools internally. So um been interesting to balance that in some of the videos too, making sure that I let people understand it. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of documentation basically, I think is a, is a short way of doing it. Um, and always remember that you aren't the consumer. Like you're building it, but the consumer is the, the thing that matters. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point that you just said about uh, you have to kind of appeal to the developers, but also to the product people and make sure well, both audiences kind of understand. So how do you walk that fine line? How do you make sure that you can, um, well, appeal to both really? Yeah, so there's actually quite an interesting problem for us in particular, because our product essentially removes the need for the developer in a lot of ways. So, you know, you can set content live remotely. Um, you can do it like based on uh, events being triggered and so on. Um, and all these things are things where normally we like go to a dev and they'll be like, okay, that'll take me a day or two. And then you go to the app store and it's quite slow. So our idea is you can kind of replace the dev. So we have a situation where we have to market to the product person saying you can replace the developer and you don't need to like wait days for the app store. But we also have to prove to the developer, like, look, you'll have to do less. Like you have to, you put this product in one time and then you can get back to doing the fun stuff. Um, so we always try and like echo that point in all the marketing, but like ultimately this benefits both people. 
the devs can build the stuff they actually want to build, the fun stuff like, I don't know, <clears throat> widgets or whatever toys they want to play with. And the product people can experiment and, and build what they want without having to go to the dev. So it does benefit both of them. And you have to constantly remember that in marketing. It would be really easy to send out a bunch of cheeky tweets saying like, you don't need a developer anymore, um, which would be great for product people. But then if you send that to a dev, hmm. they're not going to be happy about that. So just constantly making sure everything is balanced, um, which is a challenge, sure. Um, but it's just about keeping an, eye, keeping an eye on it and just making sure that we never at any point kind of, you know, accidentally insult one side of a conversation by marketing to the other. Yeah, because I don't think any side would like to uh, be told pretty much, oh, we don't need you. And, yeah, exactly. And you're going to lose your job or something like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, like, you know, we one of the things we talk about a lot is, like, of, there's competing solutions, obviously. There's there a lot of people trying to do what we do. And, like, a big thing we talk about is design. So we're, like, we kind of designed good-looking stuff for you so you can skip that bit. Again, it's, like, I also have to make sure that I don't tell a designer, like, I don't need you anymore. Like I had to tell the designer too, like, Hey, this is actually really good for you. Cause you can, again, like a dev get back to the fun stuff. So, um, it's very, very interesting when you have a product that kind of benefits everyone, but in very different ways, like how do you, how do you balance that? Yeah. I guess you kind of have to, uh, target exactly, uh, the pain points of, you know, people in both the product people and the devs and think, oh, what would they appreciate more of? As you were saying, you know, save time because then you can actually work on something else. So put it put it in a positive spin pretty much. And are there any other things that you think people should consider when they're developing a product um, for, for developers? Um, I think a, a big thing is one question that I certainly ask whenever I see some new framework or tool is, like, why would I not just build this myself? So um, to give you some examples, you know, frameworks are coming out all the time. It's like, hey, we'll handle payments for you or we'll handle, I don't know, a crash reporting or something. And, you know, a lot of them, like, it's really easy to look at them and say, well, I can build that myself in like a couple of days and I don't have to pay anyone. I just have to use my own time. So... You have to kind of make sure when you're showing like your product to people, especially developers, um, that you offer functionality and a quality that can't just be replicated super quickly. You have to keep remembering that at all times. Like, you know, if I'm just offering something that a dev can build in a couple of days, then why wouldn't they just go off and do that? Like, I have to be so convenient that the developer almost forgets about the fact that they can go build things and that they they just rather use me and throw in like my two liner rather than going off and building their own thing. Um, it's a pretty hard thing to, to manage, you know, like there's, uh, for example, if someone comes to your product and they only want a tiny part of it. So a good example would be we offer like stories. Um, if you just wanted stories, it would be really easy to say, well, I'm just going to go make my own stories. So we have to make sure like, even if someone comes in for just one feature, but like, we end up convincing them that the other stuff is worth it too and getting them to sort of buy more into the whole system. Um, not necessarily to migrate everything they do over to us, but at least, you know, make it so that they're using more than just one feature. Um, so that they're more likely to kind of stay when they are here or even more likely kind of come in to begin with because they see like a whole bunch of things that appeal to them. 
Yeah, I've not thought about that, obviously, I guess, because I'm not a developer, but it is something I've not considered before that, yeah, if you are trying to get a particular audience to use a product, if they can do it themselves, it's quite, um, must be quite hard to kind of choose the right strategies and what to say to them. And yeah, so that makes sense. Um, kind of getting them involved in a bigger in the bigger picture, not just one or two functionalities. And yeah, a really good example of that would be like if you look at people like Revenue Cap. You know, their their product um, wraps around like payment systems, and they have to kind of show all the time like why you should use us and not just build your own like store kit wrapper. Especially like Apple makes it better every year. Um, and really interestingly, I asked this question in like a private developer Slack the other day. Um, and like loads of people came out in support of the, the revenue cat implementation instead of building it themselves. Um, and it kind of like proved to me like how much that matters because they were all picking out things that I wouldn't have thought of necessarily like, oh, it's really convenient because I get server notifications or I get like real time reporting or like all these tiny little things that add up to mean that like doing it yourself doesn't make sense. Like you can't mm. build all those things. Um, so yeah, like I think that they're like a spectacular example of like how to do that when you have something that can be rebuilt, like adding more features on top that really encourage the people. Um, and yeah, like people, people love that product and it's the same thing we're going for with, with Unflow too. It definitely makes, uh, it definitely makes sense to think about it like that, but, um, it's, it just feels like there's so many things to consider when you're actually trying to think about the product. And then after that, um, marketing it which yeah. uh kind of leads me to my next question which would be um so once you create the app um what are your next step your first next step so i think marketing uh it's always hard because in, in computer science and so on there's, there's so often like a correct answer so like you know i might think okay i need to make a list in my app i'll use a list and i'll, I'll do this functionality and i'll add swipe to delete or whatever and it's really straightforward um, but with marketing, I'd like there's not necessarily a straight answer. Right? You have to try like a whole bunch of different things and kind of go from there. Um, and sort of, I think for for what we do in particular, for for developing an SEK, uh, there's a lot of trying to market individual features on their own um, and marketing kind of as targeted as you can on like the platforms where these people are. So for example, when we were marketing on Flow to like designers and, and we put it on Figma, that did really well because it was on the right platform for the right people. And they saw it and, and people clicked through to, to Unflow. Um, and the same you know, for developers, there's a lot of developers on Twitter and, and Mastodon now too. So making sure that like the right platform sees the right content. And it's hard to tailor content for people. You know, kind of we talked about it a little bit earlier about how you want to make sure you appeal to the right people without kind of like uh, demeaning another group. Um, so you have to make sure you're careful of that, especially on Twitter. Like there's no, it's not like Twitter is segmented into developers, designers, product folks. Like you need to make sure what people see appeals to everyone, um, whether that's through adverts or just tweets and so on. Um, so I think marketing for me is about just finding where the people are that you want to speak to and doing your best to like, make something that appeals to them. Um, and it's very hard to get that right. Um, you know, there's no, no guarantee if you have like the cheekiest tweet or the best demo video on Reddit that people will like it. But I think you just have to keep trying. Uh, it's about a lot of persistence and, and hoping that eventually you get through to the right people. Um, 
yeah, it's hard. I appreciate that might not be very helpful, but um, it's definitely one of experiences. A lot of it is just a case of just try, just keep trying. Don't give up. You might tweet like a hundred things with zero likes. Just keep going, keep posting to the right people. And and eventually I think it will work if you, if you have a good product, um, but you just have to keep going, keep trying on, on various platforms. I definitely feel like that's actually very useful because um, there is a lot of platforms out there, but as you say, it's all about the right people. Once you know where to find your devs, you know, where are they hanging out, then it kind of narrows down so much already. You know, you don't have to go after them maybe on Reddit or somewhere else. You know, if you know they're on Twitter, then even though it's not segmented, as you say, it's just a question of then just keep trying different things and at least, you know, you're on the right platform, you know, and something will stick eventually. <laughs> and I think... A really good piece of advice I saw was uh, someone, an indie developer asked me the other day on Twitter, like, okay, say if you had two days to market your app, what would you do? And uh, someone called Jolly Bruin, like a really successful uh, indie dev said that he'd just make 50 Reddit posts. Um, and it sounded extreme, but like when you think about it, it actually made sense. So what he talked about was the idea of like going and finding really niche groups that happen to fit. So it would be really easy for me to say, let's market to developers because developers is a huge, huge group, like front end guys, back end guys, um, you know, that there's people in, in all sorts of areas. Um, it's about finding the niche and these might be really tiny groups, but like if you're really hyper specific when you're posting in these groups, you might do really well. Like for example, with the design stuff, I posted it in Figma design and it did really well. Uh, whereas posting it in the UX design one, it didn't do particularly well. Um, you know, I'm sure if there was like an onboarding subreddit somewhere that I could find it and I could post it in there. Um, but you know, just about a lot of frequency and and just finding, finding the right place. But again, like volume was so important. Uh, he said 50, which was pretty extreme, but I think that's probably the right way to go. Just post as much as you can in the right places and just find the ones that stick. And kind of go as niche as possible if you can really. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so in your experience, have you, which challenges have you kind of faced when trying to get developers to adopt your product or an app or? Yeah. So I think, um, a few big ones are, um, you often get, so once, once you kind of get the person in um if they've if a developer is a person pushing it to their company then like you're in like a really good spot and like i think when a developer advocates for a product that it's probably going to stick and, and they'll probably keep using it so you have to kind of make sure that when developers see the product for the first time whether that's a product person bringing it to them or whether they found it themselves and they're taking it to their own company like you have to make sure that they're bought in at that point. And the challenge with that is kind of like I talked about earlier is you have to get buy-in for the whole system. It can't just be like, oh, I like this one tiny feature. They have to like the whole thing, um, which is hard. Like I, I find that the marketing that does the best is really niche and it's showing them a certain thing. Example, like marketing, hey, we can make your onboarding better. Um, but then... I think the best way to convert people is for them to buy into the whole system. So you have to kind of find the hook that brings people in, but then make sure once they are kind of in, that you show them everything else as well. So for example, that might be 
um, a really hyper-targeted login page. So um, for example, we have one on our site just for onboarding, where the top is all about onboarding, but then the rest of the page shows you everything else we do. So making sure that people are aware of everything that's available to them, not just, hey, here's this one thing you want. Um, and that's hard to do, right? Like when you think about that, that might mean like 10, 20 more different specific landing pages for people. Um, but the tools exist out there to make that a bit easier. You know, you can use like Webflow or something, just like a template page where you change the header. I think that's a pretty useful way to do it. And you can do that for marketing too. Like on Twitter, for example, you might have the same advert running 10 different times with a slightly different URL. Um, but you know, you have to make sure that you are doing that and, and you're selling people on your whole product and that you prove your value to them uh, straight away. Um, which yeah, it's not easy, but I think if you do follow strategies like having dedicated web pages or, um, you know, make sure wherever they find you, they find a lot of information that's enticing. Um, you're, you're in a good spot. So it's kind of like you were saying before, a lot of testing. In this case, a lot of A-B testing, even in that, even once you do the, the, the product, even uh, you've started to share it and all that. And then you still have, you know, as you said, maybe 10 landing pages that um, you don't know which one will work pretty much. You have to kind of try try them all. Yeah, I think yeah. I think experimentation with this stuff is huge. Um, I'd love to be able to sit and say like, oh, I've worked it out. That, that strategy I just described will work. But like, it also might not. You might find that you do way better with just like one like super page that describes every single feature you have and it's not tailored and it's just like an incredible landing page. Uh, for example, I think a really good one is like the linear landing page that's been viral a few times recently for how pretty it is, you know, like maybe that's the right way to go. Um, the only way you'll find out is by experimenting. Um, and I think you definitely should in this area. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, you might stumble into, you know, lucky break, as you said, but uh, it feels like as well, sometimes if there's something a bit different, even if it doesn't follow the rules, then it might work. But then if everyone sees that, you know, they might start copying that. And then we're back to square one and kind of have to experiment again and then see what works again. And yeah. Um, I think a, a good example of that is, for example, it's not, you know, straight for, for Unflow, but for like my personal stuff, um, I tweet like about developing for Apple platforms like all the time uh, for like years and years. And there's been blog posts and so on. And like, you know, there's content, which I think is really good or like it will be like the most liked thing on my website or so on. But like I put on socials and it doesn't do very well at all. And then one day randomly I'll post like a picture of my computer in a coffee shop and it will get like triple the likes of anything I've ever posted ever. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, but you know, it was just about consistently just trying stuff. I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to tweet this and it's going to go viral. It just happened to have my Mac in the background and I'm like, oh, what's this app? Um, and it worked out really nicely, but it was a complete coincidence. And I'd never, I'd never think of doing that. Um, so just keep trying. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, it could be something that uh, you never thought about before. Uh, just a simple picture. It could be a picture of your cat. It could be something that suddenly brings awareness to a person on an app. And then you just go from there and kind of um, have that whole, oh, here's everything that we do, not just one thing. Yeah. Kind of like a gateway to that. Um, so in your opinion, why is it so hard to market to developers? Do they have different expectations? Are they a bit more savvy, you know, towards marketing tactics? Um, 
yeah, I think I think both of both of those points are, are right. I think expectations are expectations are, are rightly really high. Like if if I'm gonna put a framework into my app, especially one where I have to pay for it, um, you know, I expect it to be like fantastic. I expect it to tick all the boxes, I expect like zero crashes, I expect all these wonderful things. And I almost like I almost need to to get that impression from the first time I see the product. So whether that's one of their influencers tweeting about it or I see it on GitHub or whatever it is, like I need to be convinced from the start, this looks good. Uh, I want to see like frequent releases. I want to see like cool release notes. Like the standard is so high and there's a lot of frameworks that meet that standard. Um, and you, you, I think you have to meet that. Um, and when you're starting from zero, that can be quite hard. Um, I'd never discourage anyone from starting. Like, I think if you have an idea, but you don't necessarily have the time to like build out some crazy GitHub repo and, and all this stuff and just ship it anyway and see. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of hard work has to go into getting people to like what they see. Um, sometimes what you have is just so spectacular. People don't care. Um, but often you do have to put that extra bit of work in and convince people that like the quality is, as they expect because you know a dev is going to want to make sure you know you kind of get a bit attached to your apps right like i know people shouldn't but a lot of people do right like and their, their code base becomes like their thing and they they look after it they maintain it um you know they get a little bit attached to it and as a result if they're bringing something new into that it has to fit in it has to be up to their standards so you have to meet that um and the the main challenge with that is you don't know what that bar is. So I think that bar is different for every single developer. Um, for a brand new dev who's writing, you know, their first iOS app, they might see a new framework and be like, oh, cool, and throw it in straight away. No questions asked. They're like, oh, this is great. I don't have to do that anymore. And they do it. But someone a bit more seasoned, you know, like your principal iOS engineer or Android engineer at some big company might be way higher uh, in terms of standards and start like going through all the code they can see, checking all the documentation, uh, really analyzing things more. Um, and you, know, you have to appeal to both of those people, make sure that the person whose standard is just, Ooh, it's pretty, um, is met. And then the person who really wants the super technical, really clean stuff is also, you know, appealed to. So, um, it's quite hard to, to meet that, but, um, I think it's very possible if you just, Again, um, like I said earlier, just keep considering the consumer when you're building things. Like when you're building your README, for example, make sure it's nice, make sure it's friendly, make sure it's usable. Um, you know, make sure you're responsive to issues. Um, you know, keep just again, just put the effort in. Um, really kind of make sure that you're welcoming to those different standards. Um, so yeah, that's the first part. That's it's quite hard to do, but I I think it is possible. As a developer, you're marketed to so much. I mean, of course, everyone is marketed to a lot these days, but like with developers, I feel like I get so much hyper-targeted advertising everywhere. Um, for example, every time I open Reddit or Twitter or whatever, I get adverts for frameworks and tools and, and so on. Um, and I'm just really aware of it. Um, and then the second part of that is like, I think that the most successful marketing a lot of the time for companies is like influencer-based marketing. So they'll have a, a DevRel person and the DevRel person would tweet something cool like, hey, look what I was working on today. 
and you'll be like, oh, that's awesome. And then you're like, oh, that's where you work as in like you represent that company or whatever. Um, and I think it's really cool to see the stuff people post, but I think there's almost like a thing in the back of your mind of like, oh, hang on, that's an advert, isn't it? Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily say ad on it, but like realistically it's an advert. Um, and I do think it affects things. Um, but I think you you can kind of see that in action. Um, if you look at companies who have uh, quite a lot of DevRel folk and they also have their own company Twitter account and you compare the, um, the reception of content on both accounts, I think just about across the board, the person's account will do better than the company's even mm. with the exact same content because people are less likely to see what the person posts as, as an advert and more of like, a, oh, that's so cool. Look what you've built and like it and engage with it. Um, so yeah, I think to people being savvy to it is totally an issue and, and probably maybe why individual based marketing does so well because they, they like the person that they're reading. It's a bit like when, you know, when you look at reviews for a movie or something, you sort of find reviewers that you like and that you engage with and you kind of stick with them. You know, if you're following mm. someone already and you already like them and then they happen to post about something, you're more likely to be happy about that than if you see like a company pop up on your timeline saying, hey, please subscribe to our new thing. It's a social proof, isn't it? It's like if I've got a yeah. friend saying, taking your example, oh, this movie was great, you have to watch it. I might watch it just because of that, because I, you know, I trust their opinion. And I guess with developers, if they hear it from other developers or you know, people who speak that language, people who understand um the apps, the codes, all of that, they're more likely to say, Okay, you know, I might give this a try instead of this faceless company who and just trying to make money. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um just just to touch on something you're saying of um you know it's important to meet developers expectations and to test stuff and make sure everything's good you know first impression um do you personally um give like an app or you know your code to developers for like beta test or you know to provide feedback so it's kind of like ready when it goes live or um so we have done some betas in the past, actually. So um, the kind of the approach that we took for it, and um, it actually worked quite nicely, was the idea that if someone, if a feature is kind of, um, I guess, led by the consumer. So like, uh, for example, someone, they were using another framework. Um, and so something that happens in Android is if you have like two frameworks that both depend on the same thing, and one of them has a higher version number, it will pick the higher version number, which can mean that one of the frameworks is working with a framework it doesn't understand very well, and it can lead to crashes and, and bugs and so on. Um, so like we had someone who was like, okay, we, we really need like this version number bumping or something. So what we could do is be like, hey, we're going to do that, uh, but that would mean you know we drop support for these devices. Um, so we release it as a beta, and we were like, we kind of warned everyone like, hey, this is like the preview of the next few releases just on its own. If you want to switch to that now, go ahead, but it's a beta just to warn you, um, which was great because the, the guy switched to it straight away. It was like, oh, thank you. It's great. It works fine. And then the next update, we could switch to that for, for everyone. Um, and we do the same right now for iOS. So for example, in iOS, generally what happens is Apple releases their new Xcode in kind of September, October, the big one for the year. And then you have until about April to switch over when Apple says, okay, if you want to push to the app store, you have to use a new Xcode. 
Um, however, like a lot of people and, and bigger companies in particular, they don't switch Xcodes for a very long time. A lot of people will take until the very last second to switch Xcodes, which means uh, I can't use like the fancy new Swift stuff. So um, that means like maintaining a version of the SDK that works on the older version of Xcode and then having this almost like preview version available for people mm -hmm. where I'm like, hey, this is what it's going to be like. Switch to it now or we'd recommend you switch to this as soon as possible. But if not, feel free to use the old one. So essentially having like that, that second track of here's the, the future really cool one and then here's the older one you can use if you want. You don't have to upgrade, um, which I think is quite important. And it also, something else is you have to remember that every release has to be up to like a really, really good standard. So like um, you have to consider that some companies, again, I'll give the bigger companies an example. They might not update their app very often. So even though I might be saying like, hey, this is a beta release, someone might ship that and that might be on the app store. And if there's an issue with it, then that could be a crash that's affecting hundreds of users or, or thousands or in a lot more than that in some companies' cases. So you have to bear in mind that all the times, even with these different release tracks, but you kind of set the expectation of, you know, if this is a beta, please don't put it in your app store app. And if it's a live release, like it's a proper one, then you have to make sure it is completely perfect. I'm sure things slip through every now and again, but you have to always remember, like I'm being welcomed into someone else's app. I have to make sure I'm I'm exactly as they expect behavior was. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, that's really interesting because I think uh, someone, I mean, I'm just talking about from a user perspective, you know, if I download an app from the app store, I want it to work well. You know, if it starts crashing and stuff, I may be more forgiving, you know, I might try it three or four more times, but it'll be enough is enough, you know, and if um, someone's in a bad mood, it's like, okay, that's it. I don't want this anymore. So kind of like a, a good first impression. So uh, is there any other strategies or tactics that you use to sort of, um, attract developers to your app anything you'd like to share or um you know you've mentioned social media do you uh, is there anything else you you try um so i think honestly for me it's, it's just about entirely social so mm. um but again it's it's using multiple channels for social so mm. not just using a company account but also using you know personal accounts um which again we, we've made sure that like when we tweeted something on personal accounts that we, we sort of linked back to, to Unflow, um, but, you know, making, making the use of all the different channels and uh, I guess importantly trying to build, build that social proof with people, you know, um, uh, something I got told a while back when I, I interviewed to work at like an Apple store and they said that they kind of have this expectation that someone might come in the store to look at a MacBook like five times before they decide to buy it. And you just have to make sure that like every time you're kind of showing them more and more of what they'd like. And that eventually when they do come in and they've made their mind up, like, you know what, today's the day I'm going to buy it, that, you know, you've done your job, you've convinced them, and then you're ready to give them something that they'll love. Um, I think the same thing applies to like developer tools, you know, they might see your tweets or your adverts or whatever it is like five ten times before they bother to click on one and go go on let's see what this is like i think it's about making sure that you do get in front of people in multiple different ways 
Um, you know, I think for example, if all they saw was the same advert for the SDK like five times, they're not going to be bothered. Like they're going to be like, okay, seen this before, fine, that, that's cool. But by showing them different use cases, different ideas, um, you know, you're kind of building up that trust so that they might eventually click on it and say, okay, this looks pretty cool. I like this. Um, so yeah, just using all the channels possible, uh, sticking to social, maybe trying social that you, um, you know, that you wouldn't maybe necessarily consider like YouTube shorts is a big one. We've started posting things on YouTube. Um, TikTok is, um, you know, skyrocketing in popularity and I know a lot of brands are doing quite well over there. So, um, you know, stick to social as best you can and just use every channel possible and just try, you know, I've never, I've never made a YouTube video before explaining code. I've written blog posts, but I've never done a video, but um, certainly did a few and like developers really liked it. The ones that I showed it to anyway. Um, so just worth, worth having a go, try some different things. Just take a look at what other people are doing too. If you ever get stuck, um, just have a go at it. Yeah, I feel like that's such a fresh perspective as well on social media. Usually you kind of hear, oh, you know, don't worry about it. They're not going to be there or, you know, just try uh, GitHub and all of that. But uh, it's just interesting to hear from a developer that social media is kind of a big thing. So, yeah. Yeah, so it would be really easy to say kind of, you know, just get someone in to look at your social strategy and do it all for you. But when you're doing it yourself as a developer, yeah, I think the strategy is totally just try just keep trying. Eventually, you might need to admit, look, I need some help. It's not going very well. But I think eventually, as a developer, marketing to developers, you, you know you know who you're marketing to because you are one. So you'll eventually strike the right chord. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting note. And I think, um, yeah, we'll finish here. And thank you so much for these great insights and again for a fresh perspective on things that you know i've not considered before so that's i hope our listeners feel the same way so um thanks again and yeah yeah perfect thank you for having me thank you for tuning in to this episode of devmar debugged if you want to hear more from professionals in the developer marketing world subscribe to our podcast for more expert talks see you on the next one